0: everyone this is carmen and christina and this is historias unknown a podcast where we talk about latin american history sometimes it's horrible and deals with heavy topics like racism corruption and genocide but more than that it's also about resistance power and community yes uh what do you have for us today i have no idea well christina i think you've heard of the ejército zapatista de. Lib- Oh, my God. I messed up. Deliberación Nacional Zapatistas. More commonly referred to as the Zapatistas. Oh, my God. I still messed up. My- <laughs> <laughs> more commonly referred to as the Zapatistas. I do know a little bit about them. Yes. Okay. I did not know this is what you were working on. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, how much do you know about them? Or what do you know about them? I should ask. Well, I know that there was, like, a movement for them to, like, essentially... Well, okay, and I could be wrong, because this is what I think I know about them. So, (laughs) there was, like, a movement or, like, an uprising where they basically, like, took... not took over, but took back uh, their land, and now they're, like, their own governance. Yeah. Well, okay, you knew more than me going into it, because I knew they were, like, you know, revolutionaries. Um, Uh And other than there's, like, Signature look. I don't really think I knew much other than that. Oh, so we're gonna be talking about them, but not like fully about them. They, I mean, it's so there's a lot. Yeah, yeah, they could be. It could be its own topic. Honestly, they're yeah. The the way it happened could be its own like I yeah. don't even know ten part episode. Yeah. Um. But 10, ten. Um. You, okay. Sorry. Okay. Shut up. <laughs> Sorry, uh, go on. <laughs> what do you know or have you heard about Comandanta Ramona? Um, I know her name, but I don't know much more than that. Okay, cool. I didn't know anything about her until I started looking into this. Um, okay. Comandanta Ramona was born sometime in 1959 in a Tzotzil Maya community in Chiapas, so she is like Tzotzil indigenous person. Mhm. I couldn't find much about her early life or her real name. <laughs> All I saw was commandanta Ramona,
1: Or her legal name, name, I should say, not her real
0: name. Because, I mean, this is... Probably for safety purposes, she's not out there, I'm assuming. Yeah. Well, and I mean, she was born in a rural indigenous community. So I wonder, like, how much they used, like, legal documents and stuff. And it was in the 1950s. Like, so, yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, even her um, date of birth and stuff, all I could find was 1959. Um, so, yeah, I couldn't find much about her early life. Uh, but before joining the Zapatistas, she worked selling her handmade goods, including her own embroidery in southern um, Chiapas. So she was like an artisan selling her goods on the streets, often to tourists. Doing that, she experienced the disparities between rural communities and larger towns. And she saw many and experienced many injustices, you know, as an indigenous woman. So that led her to join the Zapatistas, and her goal in joining was to make life better for rural, rural, sorry, we can't say that word, yeah, rural people, especially women, but especially indigenous women. Mm -hmm. So it's known unknown exactly when Ramona joined the Zapatistas, but she became an important leader and influential influential member of the Zapatista army, and ended up leading their initial uprising. One of the leaders. Their initial uprising against the Mexican government, which led to the Zapatista Rebellion and the revolution of ind- indigenous women's rights throughout Mexico as a whole. When was the, like, revolution? Um, I get to the date later on, so. Okay, okay. It was the day that NAFTA <laughs> went into effect. Which... Okay. Was this, like, the late 90s then? Um, or yeah. The early 80s? Late 90s. Late 90s, yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, I... And there's so much... What? I think there's a documentary in Netflix about it. There probably is. I just ha- I should have mm. watched it. I haven't watched it. <laughs> but I know. I'm like barely thinking about it. I haven't seen it, but I think that because there's a there's a documentary that's like nineteen ninety something and it's about Mexico, but I've never looked at oh. it like further than that. And huh. I'm wondering if that's what they talk about in that documentary. Maybe I could be wrong though. But I'm I wonder if they talk about NAFTA uh NAFTA kinda essentially NAFTA ruined so did many a lot things. Of shit. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, so just to very briefly, very briefly, briefly (laughs) touch on the Zapatistas, they are a far left political and militant group that actually, and you said it at the top of the episode, um, I heard people saying, I forgot what podcast I was listening to, but instead of the beginning, they say the top of the episode and I liked how it sounded. So I'm going to say that from now on. (laughs) Mm, I like it. It sounds more professional. At the top. Like we're saying the right lingo. It reminds me of like when we, um... Used to dance, and we're like from the top. <laughs> oh, I miss dancing. Yeah. yeah, fun, fun times. Okay, so, mm-hmm. so they um, control their territory in Chiapas. They've been characterized as libertarian, socialist, anarchist, Marxist, but they reject any political classifications. Was, this is like other I was gonna people. say, those are a lot of categories. Yeah, it's like what other people have labeled them as. Okay, um, yeah. But they themselves reject any political classifications, but they do align themselves with the anti-neoliberal social movement, basically. Okay, did you define that oh. anywhere? No, but I... I I kind of just assumed that people knew what neoliberalism okay. is. Um, should we Okay. I don't I feel like we should define it. You're right. And this is just a quick Google because I didn't do this ahead of time. But, I was neol- say, let me look it up. But. Um, Google says neoliberalism is a political ideology contemporarily used to refer to market-oriented reform policies such as quote eliminating price controls deregulating ca- capital markets, lowering trade barriers, and reducing, especially through privatization and austerity, state influence in the economy. And it doesn't like, I mean, neoliberalism is like harmful. It, it makes poverty, it increases poverty. It's not, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> we can just, yeah. yeah. In our dumb way of saying it, it's it's not good. <laughs> yeah. No are, bueno. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, bueno. <laughs> um, Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people obviously <laughs> oppose this, especially <laughs> in places where neoliberalism is like a great, great force like Latin America. Um, What do they call that? The global south, like India, African countries, because it leads to like the privatization of essential things like water. Water is a big one. And in the free market, you know, we know what that means. That's like unhinged capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, capitalism unhinged. Yeah, Yeah, really. And and that hurts people. And so, you know, that's why there's Mm -hmm. such a strong movement against against it. And that's basically the ideology of the Zapatistas. So they sought indigenous and continue to seek indigenous control over local resources, especially land in 1994. Oh, so it was like mid-90s, not late 90s. I'm going to look for this documentary now. It was called 1994, but I think it's about a president now that I'm thinking about it. But a lot happened in Mexico in 1994. Hmm. Okay. So in 1994, the Zapatistas rose against the Mexican government. The army and movement consisted, you know, of impoverished, r- this downward again, rural, indigenous men uh, and women. There's got to be a separate word for it. No. I don't know. I don't know if there is. Farm workers, I guess, but they're not all farm workers. Like, just, I'm just going to have to say it. Rural. <laughs> mm, okay. Rural. <laughs> oh, episode, it's a it's a TV show called 1994, and they have different episodes. So oh. one is about the assassination of a Mexican president. Episode two is about the revolution. Okay, cool. The Zapatista Uprising. Okay, we have to watch this. Yeah. I have to watch it. Yeah, because, I, I mean, I want to do, a, or we shouldn't do a whole episode. Uh, well, you can do various episodes, but like a separate, you know, Zapatista. Talking about the Uprising, yeah. Episodes as a whole, yeah. Yeah. So... And, and, you know, if we were more organized and perfect, that would have come before this. Episode, well, let me whatever. tell you how much of a mess we are because <laughs> <laughs> when because, OK, you know, when I talked about Azucena, we are uh-huh. in the uh, Madres de la, del Plaza, de la Plaza de Mayo. And uh-huh. I also want to talk about uh, the like sister organization that came with that. The grandmothers. Yeah. And yes. I'm like, ideally, I should have done it <laughs> as like a two-parter back-to-back yeah ideally Uh, no no ideally i should have talked about um the dirty war okay like super ideally (laughs) yeah the dirty war would have come first and then that but then, like a whole yeah but you know everyone knows that christina has adhd so that means that i have adhd i have (laughs) self-diagnosed you (laughs) you have twin diagnosed me I have twin diagnosed you, yeah. And so... And I, I mean, it's it's given, so yeah, it's 100%. <laughs> that means that we're never going to get episodes in order like this. <laughs> you never had a chance. Yeah, and also we never had a chance to just have a really organized podcast like that. I think the mm-hmm. most organized, and it wasn't on purpose, but was our series of El Salvador. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're a mess. So... Mm-hmm. In short. Yeah. Um, So many of the Zapatistas were impoverished. They were indigenous people. They were farmers, artisans. And they were demanding full autonomy from the Mexican government along with... Land back? Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, go on. (laughs) No, it's okay. Um, Along with global liberation for all oppressed people. So big, big goals. (laughs) Goals Mm -hmm. that we hope to see, you know. One day, one day. So the community began to mobilize in the early 1990s, but I also saw some things about that that they started in the 80s. So I don't know if maybe with more research I would have found. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say usually there's smaller Because they came from a different um, yeah. group also that I don't think I wrote about it here, but... Oh, yeah. And I think they probably d- then united as one bigger... Yes, something yeah. like that. And it's, it's like a common story with, yeah. with things like this, so... And they began to mobilize because the people felt that the government was exterminating them, you know, stealing their lands, extracting the region's natural resources, forcing people to leave the countryside and move to cities, disappearing Mm -hmm. indigenous languages through public education, which is something we talked about last week in our Bukele Bullshit. Update number two, Mm -hmm. signing free trade trade agreements (laughs) that threatened the livelihood of the people and, you know, that was all happening at that point, right? But prior to that, we have a long, 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 long history yeah, of Spanish invaders, slavery, indigenous people being forced to work in plantation-style sugarcane fields. And then, you know, the indigenous people surviving Mexican independence and mestizo landowners, ongoing racism, and then, you know, all of that culminating to... With neoliberal economic reforms. And as one indigenous man put it, the government los estaba chingando. (laughs) Wow. So um, direct. Yes. In summary, the government los estaba chingando. Yeah. In Mm, summation. (laughs) Yeah. In In short. (laughs) The government was fucking them over. But I feel like if you don't know Spanish, you know the word chingar anyway. Uh, Yeah. I think most people know what that means. Um, so on January 1st, 1994, the day the North America Free Trade Agreement NAFTA went into effect, um, Zapatistas rose up against the Mexican government, declared war, and seized control of major cities across Chiapas. They burned the army army's barracks and liberated the inmates of the San Cristobal de las Casas prison. Wow, um, and other stuff, but this is all I wrote down. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> In response, the Mexican army descended onto Chiapas with intense violence. Mm, You know, when I talked about uh, some revolutions happening in the gum episode, I don't know if you remember that, but I think this was it. Part of it. I thought that was longer ago. Mm, No, because I remember saying that gum. Yes. Yeah. There was like turmoil. Yeah. And that's when the United States pushed to create synthetic gum. It might have been longer ago, actually. But it is the same region yeah well, you know, like it, it, there's a lot of indigenous people in Chiapas um who have put up with the Mexican government for a long time, and so there's probably, for sure, been lot, other yeah. um uprisings and yeah, things like that before this and and this was a long time brewing, you know, yeah, so yeah, the Mexican army responded to this with intense violence. And it led to further uprising, uprisings from students. And you know, the articles I read said writing, but you know how we feel about writing in that word. Right? Yes. it's not a riot it. if it's in response to an injustice. It's an uprising. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, in response to the violence that the Mexican army committed against the j- indigenous people, students of Mexico City protested, rioted, um, uprose <laughs> in Mexico City mm-hmm. for the yes. violence in Chiapas. Yes, this I did know about for some reason, a little bit, yeah. The uprising lasted 12 days wow. and resulted in peace talks that to this day have yet to be resolved, meaning the government didn't do what they said they were going to do. <laughs> yeah, you know, of course. You know, story is all this time. Yeah. So there's a lot, a lot to be said about the way the Mexican government responded And what they did to the community and supporters of Zapatistas for years after the uprising that we don't have time to talk about today, but Mm -hmm. hope to do so in the future. Mm -hmm. Yes, Mm -hmm. because we're here to talk about a mujer who was at the center of this uprising and central to seizing control of the city of San Cristobal Cristobal. Yes, (laughs) Um, de las Casas. Which was the former capital of Chiapas. And I didn't know that. And I don't know what the current capital is either. <laughs> uh, well, let's just do a quick Google search here. All <laughs> the articles said it was a former capital, so we'll see. Oh, I, I knew that. Tuxla Gutierrez. Oh, okay, why well, I didn't know that, so thank you. Yeah. Um. So, Comandanta Ramona organized the seizure of the city, which was led by Major Ana María, Another mujer that I hope to cover in the future. So Ramona was one of seven comandantas on the committee that directed the Zapatista army, which comprised of one third woman. So the whole army was one third woman. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. And the committee, the leadership committee has its own like name that I just didn't write down because it was too much (laughs) abbreviations. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I just write the leadership committee. (laughs) Oh, makes sense. Yeah. So prior to the 1994 uprising, during the formation of the Zapatistas, thousands of indigenous women came together to create the Revolutionary Women's Law. Have you heard Mm -hmm. of this? I have not. So this asserted women's right to self-determination and equality at home and in the ranks of the Zapatistas. So after consulting with indigenous women, Ramona and Ana Maria wrote the Revolutionary Women's Law. And I have not heard about that, by the way. Oh. You had asked me and I yeah. didn't answer. I thought you did, but no. I don't know. And then the Zapatistas passed it as law that same year. On March 8th, coincidentally, International Oh, my Women's God. Day. <laughs> yeah, is that, is that a coincidence or was that on purpose? I don't know. Was like, International Women's Day a thing? I don't know. Back then? <laughs> it don't know might have it been. I don't know how old it is because this was in the 90s. Let's do a quick search. <laughs> we do on the fly research here. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 1857. Oh, no way. Actually, uh-huh. I do. I think I you remember were right, that because it was You old. said it, it was a, it started with textile workers. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay, okay. So yeah, it had to be intentional. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. And the revolutionary law on women. So I heard, I saw it called revolutionary law on women and also revolutionary women's law interchangeably. I like the revolutionary women's law better. Me too. So it was made public during the uprising in Chiapas and included 10 demands specific to women's rights. So, I mean, you know, the Zapatistas basically it's its own government, right? They govern themselves. Yes. Like they're so focused on women's rights and equality, which is something many like state governments like mexico like the united states have failed to do like you know the united states they've ne- the what is it the women's equality like there was a amendment to the constitution that was or that they tried to get ratified and it's never passed since like the you know oh, what i'm I talking didn't about even, i did not know that like, it, or i don't remember i forgot like the what it's called exactly so whatever but it's like about women's rights and they've never passed it because you know they don't this care piece of shit yeah. <laughs> <This place. laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so then I was going to tell you um, some of the demands or the 10 um, demands specific to women's rights. So, first, women, regardless of their race, creed, color, or political affiliation, have the right to participate in the revolutionary struggle in a way determined by their desire and capacity. Second, women have the right to work and receive a just salary. Third, women have the right to decide the number of children they will have and care for. Fourth, women have the right to participate in the affairs of the community and hold positions of authority if they are freely and democratically elected. Fifth, women and their children have the right to primary attention in matters of health and nutrition. Sixth, women have the right to an education. Seventh, women have the right right to choose their partner and are not to be forced into marriage. Eighth, women shall not be beaten or physically mistreated by their family members or by strangers. Rape and attempted rape will be severely punished. Okay. Ninth, women will be able to occupy positions of leadership in the organization and hold military ranks in the Revolutionary Armed Forces. Okay. I mean, all those make a lot of sense to me. Um, tenth, women will... Will have all right, all the rights and obligations elaborated in the revolutionary laws and regulations. So there's like more to it. These are just like ten demands that came from the uh, revolutionary women's law. That these demands were made at the uprising. Okay. Okay. Two months after the uprisings, the leadership committee of the Zapatistas declared thirty-four demands to be heard and met by the Mexican government. Ramona was key in the development of these demands as she coordinated wow. the petitions of Indigenous women and wrote it into a declaration. Uh, so under the 29th demand, she insisted that the government improve the quality of life of Indigenous women by building birth clinics, childcare centers, women's artisan spaces, and craft markets, um, mills where women could grind corn and make tamales and tortillas for their families. Wow. And that Indigenous... Women should have access to education, training, and contraceptives to help with family planning. Amazing. Yeah. Um, in early 1996, Comandant- Comandanta Ramona lobbied for the San Andres Accords. The San Andres Accords are like rights of indigenous peoples. And there, there were agreements reached between the Zapatistas and the Mexican government and were signed in February 1996 with then-President Ernesto Cedillo. The Accords granted autonomy, recognition, and rights to the indigenous population of Mexico. The Accords were based on five principles of basic respect for the diversity of the indigenous people of Chiapas, the conservation of the natural resources within the territories used and occupied by indigenous peoples, a greater participation of indigenous communities in the decisions and control of public expenditures, the participation of indigenous communities in determining their own development plans and the autonomy of indigenous communities and the right of free determination within the state. Essentially the accords were discussed and approved by representatives of many of the indigenous communities (laughs) of Mexico and were translated into 10 indigenous languages. Again, there's a lot more history to this. And the only thing I wanted to note for today was that although then-president Ernesto Cedillo and PRI Mm -hmm. initially signed the accords, they went on to ignore the agreement and instead increase military presence in Chiapas. (laughs) Yeah. Assholes. But back to Comandante Ramona. Later in the same year, in 1996, she went to Mexico City to to, to participate in the National Indigenous Forum, despite the government banning the Zapatistas from participating. And I don't remember if I um mentioned it later on or not. But at one point, there was like a death sentence for all. Oh my God! I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. While Ramona was there, Zapatista supporters protected her from being arrested. And this forum led to the founding of the National Indigenous Congress of Mexico. The following year, she led the Zapatistas Women's Delegation at the first National Congress of Indigenous Women in Oaxaca. Amazing. Uh, yeah. She was the first leader of the Zapatistas to speak publicly in the capital. Wow. Um, In Mexico City, where she called for solidarity, strength, and courage By the end of the speech, people were chanting her name. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So at that time, though, she was frail. And in early 1997, she was near death from kidney failure. Oh. The government granted her immunity to travel for medical treatment at this time. Because before that, she was unable to seek medical treatment because there was a death sentence on the life of every sympathy cell leader oh wow yeah so ramona's surgery was successful and she was able to recover um but after that you know her health was still not the best Less declining and she, yeah or, or just like not better no, but not declining worse. okay yeah um but she made so she made few public appearances after the oh. uprising due to um kidney issues and having cancer oh yeah um, i must have missed that i thought i only heard kidney failure i didn't i think i only mentioned the, <laughs> the kidney failure but say, the, where did the cancer like, come from it was like a from that kidney failure situation they discovered the cancer oh, and then okay, she ended up having okay. a kidney transplant later on oh okay but she continued her fight for indigenous rights. In 2001, she marched into Mexico City with other Zapatista leaders to demand the government to comply with the San Andrés Accords because they still had not. Wow. After a 10-year struggle with cancer, Comandanta Romana died from kidney failure in 2006. 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Um, and the transplant is what helped her live longer. Um, But in many of the articles that I read, like they noted, like there was still a lack of hospitals in the rural village she lived. Mm. And if she um, was not a Zapatista leader, she would not have been able to receive the transplant because of the lack of medical wow. um, access, treatment yeah. access and stuff like that. Um, so she was on her way to the hospital in San Cristobal de las Casas, the same town she had seized just 12 years prior um, Because there was still no hospital in the town she lived. Wow. And that town was San Andres de... I don't know how to pronounce this word. It's L-A-R-R-A-I-N-Z-E-R. La Reinser, I guess. Mm, it's in I Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> and she was about 47 years old when she died. So she was young. That's young. That's wow. really young. Yeah. Um, Comandanta Romana left behind a legacy of championing, championing indigenous women's rights. Today, she's often compared to La Virgen Maria. Oh my God. Yeah. That's amazing. And, um, many Mexicans say she was a woman with a lot of cojones. (laughs) Amazing. So she was a revolutionary leader who gave hope and spirit. And inspired millions of Mexican women, but especially the indigenous women and people of Chiapas. When she died, Subcomandante Marcos, another um, leader I know of the Zapatistas, him. yes, mm. like I know his name is yeah. Oh, okay, he's like the spokesperson. Yeah. So yeah, when Ramona died, Subcomandante Marcos, spokesperson and one of the leaders of the Zapatistas, said. The world has lost one of those women it requires. Mexico has lost one of the combative women it needs. And we, we have lost a piece of our heart.
1: Oh. I was like, oh, oh my
0: gosh, yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's really it. I only just have a little blurb about how much I enjoyed <laughs> learning about Comandanta Ramona. And a little bit about the Zapatistas because really I only knew them like an image and name. Yeah. I, and I and again, I only knew the that little brief thing that I said and I didn't, I didn't know about her. And then, yeah, the only reason that I know the only reason that I knew about Sub, Subcomandante Marcos is because he's the one that talks to the media. Yeah, he is. He's like the spokesperson. hmm. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, this um, the Zapatistas are still a stronghold today. Like we said, they are their own government. Truly inspiring. Yeah. And they truly champion women's rights, you know, in a way that Mexico and other supposedly, you know, I don't know, just state state governments are completely behind on. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But yeah, that's it. I was like, was that your blurb? Yeah, that was it. Also, yeah, thank you for bringing that topic because, yeah, I did not know about her. Um, that was very enjoyable to learn about. You know, and yeah, and I look forward to learning more about the Zapatistas and how the women that are involved. Yes. Yeah. Um, I do have a quick... Oh, God. I, I had a quick Bukele update, but... Oh, no! What is they're it? being so loud. <laughs> do you hear them? But I want to know now. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm bringing a very short segment of... Bukele bullshit. I don't know, Carmen, if you saw recently, like at the time of recording. So it's the 16th, like last week was someday last week. But um, there was a bus that got into a car accident or sorry. uh, There was an accident with the bus like a few Mm -hmm. days ago in El Salvador. I think I did see. And so he made like a tweet that they were like looking for the drivers to arrest them. And then he like paraded the arrest of these bus drivers. It mm-hmm. was like two drivers or something like that. Anyway, he like announced their arrest and just made like a whole show of it. And it's just very suspicious because like we don't know, we don't know the conditions of this accident. Yeah. We don't like, know what the cause of it was. But to yeah. just like go run to Twitter, announce we're looking for them to arrest them, like there needs to be an investi- a proper investigation due process due process (laughs) which is what we've been talking about and none of that happened and then to have the president just like celebrating well it it makes it seem that they're guilty before even being tried yeah there's no justice system yeah so just another example of that and that's all i have because i i haven't looked i haven't found more news on what actually happened but even that alone it's like embarrassing <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's not a good it's, look. It's the the due process, and and I truly wonder what, why was he so focused on this bus accident? Like, what was yeah? Were they were they doing this to hide something else that was happening and then meantime? Probably because anytime yeah. there's like a something big that happens, and he like tweets something like that, it is always to hide something. Just like when he yeah. that thing we talked about just last episode, when he released the images of the people being transported to the prison. Mm-hmm. It was to hide the or bring attention away from the indictment. Yes, <laughs> for the exactly. United States. Yeah, that's what. And yeah, that's what my mind went to. Like, what is really happening here? Why is because it's this is just an accident. It was not like, yeah, it's and like, we don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess like technically you can assume like I don't know manslaughter, but yes, was it criminally? What was the intent? You know? I'm sure that yeah. it, that was it. Was I mean it there needs to be an investigation proper investigation before there's like a mass media yeah so a while back here i think it was actually in california but there was a truck driver that didn't stop in time and rammed some people yeah um or he didn't go could it it, years ago oh i don't know anymore oh you know it might have been i I think i know what you're talking about you know that i have no sense of time so it might have been a while ago but it's almost as if the president of the time, because now I don't know when this happened, were to tweet about that and say we're arresting this person now. We're looking for them right now. Like, that's not a thing that's supposed to happen. So I'm like... Like, Why was he so focused on this bus accident? It's very yeah. weird. It doesn't make any sense. So I'm that is weird. I'm going to be on the lookout to see what was actually why. You know, it's weird. It's very weird. But that's it. That's all I have for that. And yeah, we'll be on the lookout for more <laughs> bukele bullshit. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I can see the children are in <laughs> needing you. So that probably wraps everything up. Anyway yeah all right well thank you everyone for listening remember please give us a five-star rating write a nice review and if you don't if you don't like what you hear do not give us a rating just leave (laughs) (laughs) don't say anything just stop listening that you don't have to leave a review yeah and yes thanks for listening we'll catch everyone next time bye bye